Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See, Jacob trusted God for his wives to do something they had never done before, leave their father and leave their homeland. And when Jacob did that, Jacob honored his wives. And he followed the command in the first Peter 3, 7. Husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Only in this case it was the wives, but that's another problem. (laughs) And the beauty of the approach that Jacob took was that down the road of life, they could look back, all of them could look back and say, the decision, well, they wouldn't say, they would not say, The decision to leave was a life decision that was made because I was pushed into it. They would not say the decision to leave was a life decision that I made because I was manipulated into it. But the beauty of the approach that Jacob has taken here was that down the road of life, they could look back and say, you know what? The decision to leave was a life decision that we made together under the direction of God. That's the goal for every marriage. As a husband and wife, travel on down the road of life together, that they'll be able to say for each life decision, that decision was a life decision that we made together under the direction of God. Now, when we are faced with needing to have someone agree with us, which he was, (laughs) trusting God is to not be pushy. Trusting God is to not be manipulative. Trusting God is is to openly explain the situation and depend on God to bring an agreement. This is the picture of a loving husband with his his wives here. And for Jacob to lay his case out before his wives and put his future in their hands meant that Jacob had to trust God to work in the hearts of his wives. And we know from verse 16 that God did work in the heart of his wives. So when Jacob trusted God to make his wives willing to leave, that pleased God. That made God happy. And when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his wife to be at peace with him. (laughs) And it's a wonderful thing when a husband trusts the Lord to make he and his wife of one heart and of one mind as the husband opens his heart to his wife. It's a wonderful thing to see when God does this for a husband and wife. This is what God promises he's going to do for Israel. For the Jewish people in Jeremiah 32, 39, when he says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. So this is what God did for Jacob and Rachel and Leah when it came to the decision to leave. God gave them one heart, one way, one mind, 
And that was the best confirmation that Jacob could have that he was in the will of God. When he saw that God had given Rachel and Leah the same heart and mind, believe that confirmed to Jacob he was in the will of God. And then we read in verse 6, we read these words, when he said, and you know that with all my heart I've served your father. Boy, what a statement. (laughs) With all my power, I mean to say. With all my power. Boy, what a statement. The love that Jacob had for Rachel caused Jacob to serve Laban with all his power. I mean, if Jacob, with all his power, because of a strong love that he had for Rachel, he served Laban for that, would to God that we had the same love for the Lord Jesus Christ that Jacob had for Rachel? So that verse 6 could be said of us, that with all of our power, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, now what happens? Jacob makes his passionate, open-heart presentation to Rachel and Leah, and then he stops in verse 13, and he waits for their reply. He says, ladies, do you have anything to say? What a question. (laughs) All right, so at the end of verse 13, we stop, and we see if the ladies do have anything to say. And boy, do they have something to say. In fact, they have plenty to say. Too much, but anyway. Because up until this point, we haven't heard about anything about what Rachel and Leah thought about what their father had done. We haven't heard that. And now we stand back because Rachel and Leah have got the floor and they're about to let loose and let their feelings be known. So the first words we read in verse 14 are, and Rachel and Leah answered. Now, before we get into what they actually said, that's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing in verse 14. Why? Am I really reading this? Does this really say, and Rachel and Leah answered? Oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm confused. Aren't these the two sisters that were at each other's throats? Aren't these the two sisters that hated each other? They were just about going to kill each other? Is this the same Rachel and Leah that were fighting each other? And do we see them here now in agreement with each other? Hmm, that's amazing. Rachel and Leah are agreeing, and they have one voice. Boy, that's nice. You know, there's nothing like a common problem to bring warring parties together. (laughs) Rachel and Leah realized that their father, Laban, was against them. That was a common problem. They were brought together by their common problem. And they have abandoned being against each other, and they're now united in their opposition against their father. You know, if Christians would realize that we have a common enemy, the devil, the devil, then we would abandon being against each other and we'd be stopped fighting each other. We'd unite together. I mean, what is important for believers is not what divides us, but what's important is what unites us. When we look at other believers, we have a choice. We can look at other believers and say, oh, I see those differences. Oh, they don't worship the same way. Mm. No, I don't agree with that. Oh, no. Oh, no. Let me just, oh, no. Yeah, we let that divide us. Or we can look at what we agree on and be united. You know, people ask me, well, you know, what denomination are you? They always want to know, what's your denomination, you know? And my reply is, I'm of the denomination that believes that the Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who became a man, died for our sins. That's my denomination. So now the ladies speak, and boy, do they have some complaints. They've got some complaints, three of them actually. So here we go, verse 14. Rachel, they answered and said, is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house. So their first complaint in verse 14 is summed up in the word yet in verse 14. Is there yet 
any portion or inheritance for us. See, the word yet means I've been waiting, you know, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. So what we see here with Rachel and Leah is that, um, well, first of all, they're, they're pretty hard on their father. And they're hard on their father because they say, our father has been hard-hearted to us. He's not given us anything. He didn't give them, he gave nothing when he married us away. And then Rachel and Leah thought, well, you know, maybe the heart of our father is going to be softened up a little bit when the little grandchildren come. Then that'll soften them up. Then he'll, he'll start giving us stuff. And so the grandchildren come and Laban gives nothing. So the word yet, they're saying, we're done. Let's go. It's a waste of time to wait for Laban to give something to us. So, okay. So they have taken this very personally. They're angry because they both realize their father is not going to give them an inheritance, either then or anytime. And Rachel and Leah have finally come to the conclusion that there's no more benefit, as far as we see anything, to stay there with their father, with their own people. And they've become tired of their own people. And um, they're ready to forget their own people. And they become tired of their father. They're ready to forget their father's house. Now, if we just freeze that picture of Rachel and Leah there, ready to leave, we can see a picture there of what happens to the Jewish person who says no to their own Jewish family that forbids them to believe into the Lord Jesus Christ and what it says in Psalm 45, 10 through 11. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear Forget also thine own people and thy father's house. So shall the king desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. See? That's a call from King Jesus to a Jewish person who's sort of stuck. Let me shut the door. Who's sort of stuck, a Jewish person who's stuck in between. He's in between words, conflicting words here. This Jewish person is in between the conflicting words because listening to the Lord or listening to the Jewish family that forbids them to come to King Jesus. Oftentimes, rabbis tell me, they say, you need to remember your people who died rather than convert to Christianity. You need to remember your father, your grandfather, who protested against Christianity. And this verse is very, very important because it gave to me specific directions, and there are directions in these verses in Psalm 45, 10 through 11. First, Psalm 45, 10, really, to hearken, hearken. This is hearken, O daughter. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's speaking in the Bible. It's a fundamental decision as to who to listen to. Second, this is in Psalm 45, 10, consider. What do they have? Consider. What are they, what are they offering? Those who reject the Lord Jesus. What do they got? A religion, ancient traditions, a community of other rejectors of the Lord Jesus. Consider how they do not have eternal life, as Peter said in John 6, 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And then after deciding to follow the Lord Jesus, the next word and instruction is incline, incline the ear. The first step is to hearken, that means to hear it out. The incline the ear is different. That's a commitment to only listen to the Lord Jesus. And then, to not be pulled back, the next instruction is forget. Forget thine own people and thy father's house. In the sense of ever wanting to uh, return or reject them. Don't forget them to bring the gospel to them. 
but forget them in terms of ever wanting to return or reject the Lord. And then the last one, or the second last, is to make. Make him Lord. So you make him Lord. He is thy God. See, this is where we confess the Lord Jesus Christ is God Almighty, creator of all things. And then the last one, the ultimate worship. Worship the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord God Almighty. You cannot worship until you first make him God of your life. You cannot make him God of your life until you first forget your own Jesus-rejecting people in your Father's house. You cannot forget your own Jesus-rejecting people in your Father's house until you first turn your heart to listen to him only, incline. And you cannot turn your heart to incline to the Lord until you first carefully consider what he's offering and what the opponents are offering. And you cannot carefully consider until you first hear what he says. You know, I told you about my Hasidic rabbi friend that came to my house, and I tried to show my Hasidic rabbi friend New Testament Bible verse plaques in my house, and he puts his hands over his ears and shakes his head. They made a big scene. And, you know, blocking the first step of listening. Hearken to what the Lord Jesus says. So this growing tired of their own people in the Father's house is what we're seeing in verse 14. Rachel and Leah have become ready to forget their people and their father's house and go with their husband to a new land. But now, verse 14, they give their first complaint that Laban has given them nothing and he's not going to give them anything. Now comes second complaint. Verse 15, are we not counted of him strangers? You sold us, quite devoured also our money. So the second complaint is that Laban has not treated them as daughters. You know, when they use the word sold, it's a pretty strong word. They were saying that Laban treated them like merchandise that could be sold for profit. And when they used the word strangers, they were saying their fathers treated them like slaves that had been taken off in some foreign battle or something and brought back, purchased. And we wondered, we wondered, you know, well, how did Leah and Rachel feel about being sold for seven years, each one sold for seven years of labor? Well, now we know. Now they feel very angry. So at the end of verse 15, is their third complaint. And their first complaint, they're not going to get anything from the inheritance. The second complaint, he sold them as merchandise. And the third complaint is that he didn't give them the money that he got from selling them. So you notice in verse 15 how they call the money that Laban got our money, our money. And they're saying that, if look, if we're going to be sold, then the money from our sale belongs to us, not to our father. I mean, so every animal that Jacob has raised for Laban and Laban sold... Rachel and Leah said, that's our animal, and that money belongs to us. Bring it back. So they're very angry at their father. And it's not just an anger of the past, because when it says in verse 15, he hath quite devoured also our money, they use the word devour. That's in the present tense. It's not past tense. It's present. He is continuing to eat our money. That's what they're saying. So it really made them mad that Laban sold them in the past like foreign slaves, but it burned them up that Laban didn't even give them the money. <laughs> and he continues to eat up the money he made from selling them. So now Rachel and Leah have just blasted their father and their complaints, and that's really not good. That's really not good. Because what Rachel and Leah did to their father was not commendable. Because all parents have faults, and children are the first one to see the faults of their parents behind closed doors. You know, children hear the words that no one should hear, and they see the acts that no one should see, you know, because it's behind closed doors. And children have an obligation to conceal the faults of their parents. 
You know, children have an obligation not to expose the faults of their parents. As it says in Proverbs eleven thirteen. 13, a bearer revealeth secrets, but he that's of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. See? And Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. And he that covereth transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth the matter, like they are, separateth very friends. Now, we don't have a better illustration of children covering a sin than we do of the two sons of Noah, Shem and Japheth, where it says in Genesis 9, 20-23, Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Laban, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. Now, in this passage, we're not told the details of the sexual nature of the sin that Noah had fallen into when he was drunk in that tent. And we don't need to know them, and we don't want to know them, but what we are told is that two of his sons, Shem and Japheth, also did not want to know, but just wanted to cover their father's nakedness. What a precious picture that is of children covering the sins of their father. And that's what we have here in the case of of these two sons of Noah. But in the case of the daughters of Laban, it was just over the top for them. They had just come to a place where they just couldn't take it any longer. And so they just let loose, which is what we see here. And what's interesting here is that when you read this here, is that, let me ask you a question here. Who, when you look at, this, look at the passage here, who did Jacob say that those things belonged to in verse 9? Look at verse 9. Who did Jacob say those cattle belong to? To me. Okay, so Jacob says, I work for them, they're mine, God gave them to me. Okay, now, do the women agree in verse 16? Do they say, oh yes, all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is yours. Is that how it reads? It's ours. (laughs) So we have a minor disagreement here. I mean, Laban says, they're mine. But the daughters say, they're ours and our children's. Okay, so does Jacob say, oh, they're not, they're mine. I'm the one who did all the work. Jacob is a wise man. He says, fine, they're yours. <laughs> well, maybe I could use them you know, because I'm married to you. No, because I'm the father of your children. Anyway, so after we've gotten this little disagreement worked out of whose they are, then we see here that in verse 16, after they protest, they say, no, they're ours and they're our children's. And then they say, whatsoever God had said unto thee, do. That's what they said. They said, whatsoever God has said unto thee, do. Those are fantastic, wonderful words. Let's give a whole load of benefit of the doubt to Leah and Rachel. And let's just, let's not think that, well, because you want to do what we want to do, then you do what God wants you to do. <laughs> let's not go there. Let's just look at that. Whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. Those are wonderful words for a wife to say. 
That should be a goal. No wife should ever stand in the way of God working through a husband. No wife should ever do that. But what should a wife do if the husband is proposing something that she doesn't agree with? Then she needs to go to God. She needs to go to God and lay her, her case out before God that he would change her husband, but to say, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. Now, Jacob has said in here, in this passage here, he said, the Lord said to me, the Lord said to me. You know, it's very dangerous when you say that. The Lord said to me. You know, people say that. The Lord said to me. You know, I never say that. The Lord said to me. Why don't I say that? The Lord said to me. Because I like to cook and I like to eat. And the most unpalatable thing you can eat are your own words. <laughs> so I never say, the Lord said to me, do this, do that. You know, the Lord is speaking. You go through this whole thing. But Jacob said that because the Lord did say it to him. Okay, fine, good. And they say, whatever God has said to you, do that. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a goal for Christian wives to support their husbands in that way. And so Jacob has got the agreement of his wives, which is a miracle. Warring parties have now come together and agreed with him, and now he sees God really is with me, and now it's time to go. And so he puts his wives on camels in verse 17. He rises up, puts his wives on camels, and off they go. Now, which day Look at verse 22. Which day did Laban find out? Third day. Why? Take three days to go and for the messenger to go. Okay. Yeah, 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 Jacob, yeah, there's three days distance. So three days, right? So during these three days when the messenger is traveling from here to Laban, J- Jacob's not sitting there. He's made a run for it. So he's got three days here too. So now we've got six days journey in between them. Okay? We've got six days journey in between them. Now, when did Laban, how long did, when did Laban overtake them? Uh, verse 23. Seven days. Okay. So Jacob is six days away, six day journey away from Laban when he starts out. Six days. And in seven days, he overtakes them. What's that mean? <laughs> He's going pretty fast. <laughs> I mean, Laban is making those camels trot <laughs> quickly. And he overtakes them in a very short period of time. And right at the time when he's getting a little bit of sleep, I mean, I don't know how fast, I don't really want to know how fast camels go. I don't want that experience, but I understand that they go about two to three miles an hour and you can really get them going 10 miles an hour. So, you know, that's if you want to do that. But anyway, that's what he did. And so he overtakes them, but, and he is getting some sleep at night, a little bit of sleep. And so the night before he overtakes them, God steps in and has a dream. He has a dream, and he says, you be careful. You be careful in verse 24. Take heed that thou speak. You think, boy, the night before, you know, God, this is right in the nick of time. You have to make it so tense here. Well, that's the way God does it, you know. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the life of uh, Jacob and that you are the God of Jacob. And help us to understand as we study this passage here of all the ways in which you were the God of Jacob, so that you can be our God in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to join the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, for the second annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m., This benefit dinner is in support of the Life and Light Foundation Ministries of the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration Ministries, and the Friendship with God Radio Ministry. Come experience a fantastic food-themed night at the Creation Museum, and we'll have great guest speakers with Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Dan Sered, director of Israel's Jews for Jesus. We'll have an amazing night of auction items, so if you would like to attend, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor with a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve a seat. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or creationsd.org. creationsd.org.